Welcome to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you're doing well. And we're going to talk about purpose today. Uh, I think this is a really important topic because, as we'll talk about in the podcast today, I think in these times that have been so unpredictable and uncomfortable, in a sense, that we're being called perhaps to find, to clarify and embody our unique um, role that we play in helping us navigate through these times. And, and, and at Coaches Rising, we certainly feel that way about coaches. Or let me say, those are the kind of coaches we really love to hang out with uh, and speak to because um, that's how we feel ourselves. Like, how can we embody our unique contribution and service in the world? So we're going to go into this topic today. With, I'm talking with Holly Woods, and we're going to be talking about this idea of the golden thread uh, Holly wrote a book about this. I recommend it. And it, so we're going to explore this idea of like, how, how can we begin to f- attune to, to uncover that golden thread that is our soul's calling that can manifest throughout our lives. We'll talk about how we can even see it when we're young children. And Holly's going to share like how she helps her clients to uncover this thread, to clarify it and uh, follow the science. And We'll also talk about how soul and, and particularly a purpose can show up at different stages of uh, development. So we talk about uh, developmental psychology and how purpose is kind of has a different flavor at each of these stages. Particularly, we'll go into the um, um, subtle, uh, sort of higher subtle stages and the meta-aware stages. I think that's interesting. And we'll talk about other stuff too <laughs> well anyway um so holly a few more words about her holly is a, a coach an entrepreneur a scientist an anthropologist uh, uh really has been studying very very broadly and and deeply in these fields and um really now works as a as somebody who is a purposed activator so, um, yeah, and as usual, if you're not on our mailing list, uh, sign up if you want to join our community, coachesrising.com. There's a sign up box there. And also, if you leave a review, that'd be cool or share the podcast, that'd be cool. And let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Holly Woods. So yeah, Holly, good to be with you again. I'm actually uh, feeling kind of joyful after our little check-in and it's been too long. Yeah, Joel, me too. It's so great to be with you always. Mm, Yeah. Well, we're going to dive into this topic of purpose and uh, all the different ways that you speak about that. So, um, and you've got this great book out, The Golden Thread, and uh, some new initiatives. So I think we need to talk about those as well. I don't know, for me, I think just these, you know, even since we last spoke, which was at the summit, it just feels like there's um, one of the things in the air in these times is a, is a call for us to clarify why we're here and what is our unique contribution in these times. So, um Let's let me can start by uh, saying what's the golden thread? Like I think that's a fascinating <laughs> idea, and it's a yeah. What do you mean by that? What is the golden thread? Um, 
Well, you know, I actually, it, it emerged for me as I was working with clients um, over a period of time, I started seeing patterns in people's lives that were early indicators or expressions of purpose. And part of what I do as a coach is to, um, you know, get the purpose person's life story. And, and I've always, I've, I'm a, anthropologist by training. One of the things I've trained is an anthropologist, among other things. And so I look for the stories in people's lives that would be expressions of purpose. And I started noticing um, over time that, and I had noticed this in my own life, but I'd never really put it together until I saw it in enough people's lives that there are these early versions of who we are that repeat over and over and over. And it's kind of like we hit our head against the wall until we recognize it ourselves and decide, oh, that's something I should pay attention to. That seems to really matter to me. And as I was working with people and we got really close to the thing that was, you know, some version of their purpose. And I, we'd look back in the stories and like, uh, look, <laughs> you were two or three, and here was a version of it. And then, you know, six or seven, here's another version. And I began to really piece together that there is this thread. And I actually truly one day saw it in a person. I saw this thread in their life story, like, whoa. Um, but I'm not the only one because they're quite, Michael Mead talks about a golden thread. And I didn't actually know that until I had actually like, oh my gosh, there is a thread that looks golden in our lives. That is our soul pulling us forward, finding the right opportunities for us to express our greatest you know, burning desires, the, the next expression of us, what our soul wants us to do. And sometimes that thread looks like a challenge or a, you know, almost a curse, not a blessing, because it's pulling along us, pulling us along in ways that create opportunities for, dip, for us to become more of ourselves. Um, so we so we hit up against this, this life as the thread is pulling us forward and our soul is nudging us and pushing us forward and, and bumping us along as we continue to express ourselves. So the thread literally is our soul wanting to express itself in its truest form throughout our lives. What I like about that idea is the contrasting, I mean, I don't know if I've got this right, but it seems like in some circles, it's like, um, that you, to have a soul encounter, as it's been described, and maybe Bill Plotkin coined that term, that you that it's really difficult in some way, you know, that you need to like, you know, um, really want it, uh, maybe go on a soul quest, uh, you know, a vision quest, sorry, and, you know, be away in nature for a week and deeply immerse yourself. And then if you're lucky, you might, you know, you might get here a whisper it. or something. And <laughs> this feels very different in that, yeah, it's actually um, always kind of like, as you describe, it's always knocking on the door. There's always uh, some kind of call or um, uh, thread, you know, sense yep. of that thread in our lives. Yeah, I, um, I think probably because I had early mystical experiences. You've heard me say that as a child, I had um, voices, <laughs> you know, right here, like in my that we're like, you're here to do something important. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, who are you? And what, what are you telling me? And, and what is that thing? But, and if it's, if it's so important, why can't you let me know what it is? And so I 
always was on this quest. I was always on a quest. Like I had to figure out this important thing because I really, you know, I came in as a, as a very driven person who wanted to make a difference in the world. And this notion that I had something important guided me to always be looking for, well, what is that thing I'm supposed to be doing? So I probably paid a lot of attention throughout my life. And so I was always like, well, this feels good. This, this, this feels right. And I would do that for a bit, but I also had a lot of challenges in childhood um, because of the childhood context. And so I was always hitting up against the things that didn't let me express myself, myself. And it wasn't like, I'll be really frank, it wasn't until I was pregnant with my first child that I realized, you know, I don't want to do parenting like I was parented. And I want to figure out how to be a better parent. And I went into a bookstore one day and a book fell off the shelves. It was Greg Lavoie's Callings. And like, okay, there's something really important here that I'm supposed to learn about how to, how to listen to your calling. And I, boom, I literally began realizing, oh, this is actually sort of my destiny. I am supposed to be not only living my own purpose and destiny, but I'm, I think I'm supposed to help others uh, live theirs. So I had this opportunity, you know, now pregnant with a child, like, oh, how do I do this for my own kids? So I got to raise my own children with this notion that they are these independent sovereign beings whose lives really matter. And I have to pay attention as a parent how to help them find themselves. So it was kind of my early child, early clinical trial <laughs> to do right. that with kids. Yeah. Yeah. No. And how do you, I guess the question is a dual one, but like, how can we hear that call, you know? So, uh, and how do you help your clients trace that thread? Mm -hmm. So it's two questions there. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's a, there's an exercise I do, um, when I'm working with a client, I do it with them. So we walk through these things together. When I'm teaching people to do this on their own, um, there's a simple exercise that you can get out a piece of paper. I mean, there's a lot of exercises, but one of them is you can get out a piece of paper, turn it um, left to right, you know, horizontally draw a line down the middle, and then you sort of partition it off into the decades of your life. And if you think back over the decades of your life, from birth on the left to current age on the right and identify the things that inspired you and that you were really curious about and that you might've had a slight obsession with or always reading about or talking to your friends about, or, you know, you, you found games that would revolve around that or, um, if you had book reports to write for school, it was about this thing, this thing, or there, there are ways that we express ourselves in life so clearly over time that you, you begin to see the patterns emerge. And it's not always about a thing. You know, if you were obsessed with bugs, it's obviously not about bugs um, in childhood, but there's, it might've been, you know, you were uh, fascinated with with how things work. And um, I'm not gonna be able to give a good metaphor. I, the, the story that I often tell is 
one of the facets of my purpose is that I speak powerful truths. And my purpose is I speak powerful truths to shine love onto shadow, to liberate soul's potential and reunite love and power. And one of those facets is speaking powerful truths, which, you know, in retrospect, I started doing really early. For some reason, I felt obliged to, you know, speak my mind, even as a very small child, a toddler. And um, early on, I was standing up to some of the abusive patterns of my mother. And, um, you know, in order to protect myself and protect my younger sister. And over time, I could see that I was the one in school who would, you know, object to things or raise my hand and say the thing that needed to be said or whatever. And I did this throughout my life. I didn't always do it well. So I had to learn to express that version of me in more and more constructive ways. So sometimes purpose looks like a shadow because we don't do it well. Um, which is one of the hypotheses I have is that sometimes our purpose is hidden because it is imbued with enough shadow that it actually looks like a curse. But if we clean it up and move through whatever it is that is keeping us from expressing it well, it becomes the gift or the contribution that ultimately is our purpose. Mm. Um, so as you, as you know me well enough to know that I speak you know, what needs to be said, I've learned to do it with love and compassion. So I, sh I shine love onto shadow. And I, I do that from a, you know, a very open hearted, um, I care about people, and I want the best for all of us. So I've learned to integrate those two facets. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I think that idea about shadow is really important. But um, so I'll come back to that. But just to stay with so when you, when you are, uh, you know, you have someone maybe map out their life, the different decades and maybe the different areas of life that, um, you know, had these experiences that uh, they're where they felt passionate or drawn to something. Um, yeah. And then how, how are you looking at that? For example, is it, is it like, is it quite obvious from that point or is there like things that um, can be distractions or, you know, I imagine there's a particular way you're looking for um, then something that might emerge as this person's purpose. You know, kind of the second step of this process then is to attempt to um, remember what the experience was like. And I, I teach people how to, I call them imprints. Um, and I also call them, you know, KPIs is something that's common in the business world. I talk about key purpose indicators and there are ways that we can begin to use our physical, you know, our somatic, our energetic, our psychic experience as indicators of how I'm responding to life. So if every time I do a particular thing, I feel my energy rise, I get enthused or inspired, or you notice your eyes get wider and you, your voice may change and you may have, you know, goosebumps on your arms, or all of a sudden you're like a different person. Those are all indicators that I am having an experience of something in life that has meaning to me, you know, and then we, the brain kicks in and we interpret what that meaning is. But long before the brain kicks in, my body, my energetic 
structure, my psychic experience is telling me if I'm listening well enough, something's happening here, pay attention to that. And so you can literally remember in childhood, I've pulled these stories out of people when we go back into their life and, you know, I, I'm sort of digging, helping them excavate their childhood experiences. You remember this. We did this for you. Uh, yeah, I could share mine in a moment, in a moment very briefly. Yeah. 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 And so I help them remember an experience they probably don't even have a conscious awareness of. And then they start telling the story. And then all of a sudden you can feel that energy emerge because like, oh yeah, that was really important. And I loved when I did this and that happened in this. And so you can start to have an understanding of why that mattered to you. What, what was its function for you at that time? And then you can start looking at the next version of that and then the next version. And as you deconstruct these stories, because you may, you know, the first pass is, well, what happened that mattered and, you know, were you obsessed with? And then the next version is, well, let's dig in and find out what really mattered there, what was really underneath that. So the deeper and deeper and deeper you go into that story, you begin to see why something really mattered to you. And it's that, it's that deconstruction of those stories across your life that really begin to pull out the very basic elements of what has had meaning for you in your life. And that, me that meaning is an expression of purpose. So, you know, because our soul is literally, and so this is my belief, which is different than the go into the, you know, the desert or the woods and talk to your soul. And it only happens once or twice in a lifetime is no, nope, your soul's always talking to you. And it's always trying to get you to listen to who you really are, because otherwise, why would we have these long lives in which we're led on these circuitous paths? And so we can learn to listen in our daily lives to what it is that's pulling us forward in meaningful ways. Uh, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, okay, let me bring in a few things quickly. Like, <laughs> So just very quickly, my yeah. what you helped me, when you asked me about my childhood and in particular, it was like the story of when I played with my Star Wars figures and then how I would like create a container for, for the, I would like build this scene with the figures. I wasn't like, bow, bow, bow. Yeah, probably, people have probably heard me tell this story before on the podcast, but I wasn't like, you know, like, smashing them together and chucking them around. It was like kind of like sitting with it in presence and, you know, constructing this scene and, and then so something could emerge. It had this very palpable feel of like, yeah. uh I still yeah feel something's it, yeah right I'm feeling it right now like it's <laughs> so powerful yeah so yeah then you named that like as the, as like a kind of container or like this this container for emergence or and that uh that still continues to work with me that reflection it's very interesting you know um and it is a it is a felt experience it's an embodied experience that mm -hmm. evokes in me a different way of being or seeing and I see then in my own life, oh, when I was an artist at art school and I would do the same thing with my canvases, you know, I'd be sat there, there would be the same feel of like, you know, uh, attunement and something emerging when I was a DJ in nightclubs, you know, as a coach with my clients. So that's a, yeah, I'd really wanted to share sure. that. And yeah. yeah. Thank you, Joel. That, that was such a perfect um, representation of this notion. And, and so just to, 
to back up a minute, as you're speaking about these, you know, and I've heard about all these, but as you're speaking, I'm, I am like a mirror neuron. So my body really um, can have your experience. I was getting uh, energy was moving through my body. I, it was on the, on the, on my skin. I had tears behind my eyes and um, I was feeling all of those expressions of you. And now my throat is open and I have this feeling in my gut, like Joel just arrived. You just arrived in your most innate, truest form. And that is your soul speaking to us right now. Like this is who you are. And so that's the level of purpose from which we can be in the world with our greatest understanding of who we are, why we're here, and how we can express ourselves next. So it's not, I'm gonna go create something that makes a difference in the world because the world needs that. It's that too, but it's like from where, from, from why? Hmm. Why would you do those things? Because that has to permeate whatever you do in the world for it to, to have the level of magic and synchronicity that you and I know is possible. Hmm. If we all lived that, this world would be so different. Yeah, yeah, I'm touched by your reflection and, um, you know, that I can feel what that brings up inside of me, you know, like it amplifies the experience and that actually, um, you answered my question because I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to say like, um, what is this experience? Like, why is it important? you know, um, of soul or of purpose and what becomes possible as we, as it begins to become clear to us or we embody it. And yeah. So I don't know if anything else comes up about that or, and even in the world right now, you know, like the need for this. Yeah. So what, what emerged and here's more energy coming. Um, what emerged as you were speaking is that your soul now recognizes it's being heard. You know, it's, it's like right here and it's like, yes, <laughs> we're recognized and okay, I'm going to go look for more experiences and more expressions because Joel now knows me and he knows what I'm, what I'm about and he knows what to expect of me. And so in your life, in the next few days, I would predict that you're going to have some synchronicity that will show up that is a, a version of the next you. You know, it's, there's, a, there's a new thing ripening in you that will show up because you've, you've stated, you know, you've shared that this is who I am and there's another. So this is the constant evolution that you and I know is possible and that we're on this journey to have an ever expanding version of us show up because what the world needs now, more than ever, we have a decade literally to turn this around or, you know, it's, or, or we're, we're gonna be gone soon. Um, hate to be pessimistic, but that is what we have. We have a decade to turn this around and hopefully that will be enough. Um, each of us living our most sincere, purest expression is what will drive the innovation that's necessary for this next stage. So anything less is gonna end up producing more stuff, <laughs> you know, more non-solutions to the, 
VUCA challenges that we're experiencing. So I don't, I don't actually know why I know this, but I do. It's just a knowing that each of us living that innate, purest, sincerest version of us and bringing in what I came to deliver in this lifetime is what will solve these problems. We, you know, we've all heard the quote, you can't solve the, you know, the current problems from the current paradigm. You actually have to go to the next paradigm and that's where we're going. And so this expanded version of us is going to have solutions because we're pulling them from the field. We're not pulling them from our brains. We're pulling them from the field and the field or God or spirit or however you want to say it is, is delivering the answers, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. our soul's like, yep, I know it's out there. I got to go get it. So we're, we're looking for solutions that don't exist mm-hmm. and, and only from our deepest soul desire. Can I, can I find that solution? It seems that from that place, that's where we move out of, you know, the more uh, rivalrous kind of uh, dynamics to coin, a, I think, a phrase that Daniel Schmachtenberg has been using. But, um, yeah, we, we cease to kind of compete with each other, yes. uh, unhealthy competition, and because uh, some competition is good, but uh, and then collaborate more, you know, to play our part in the in the kind of ecosystem of life. Right. You know, it's funny, since I've arrived in this understanding about the nuanced one of a, you know, it's actually one in 400 quadrillion version that we each are. There is an equation. I'm not making up that number. It actually is. We are one in 400 quadrillion version of us. Um, I give what do you, you mean reference. by that? Uh, well, uh. so somebody, I can never remember his name, but there was a scientist who figured out that the odds of any of us being here with our history, our lineage, our DNA, our ancestry, our life experiences, our gifts and talents, it adds up to the, the risk of me being here is one in 400 quadrillion. Right. That's how nuanced one of a kind we each are. And once I've realized that it's like, okay, yeah, of, of the many thousands of former lifetimes I've had and the many things I brought to this lifetime and the experiences I've had and the opportunities and the, you know, the gifts and talents and the um, blah, blah, et cetera. There's nobody like me. And if I do exactly, you know, if I listen closely to what my soul wants me to do, I couldn't possibly be competing with anybody. And so what that liberates in me is the ability to, to have an abundant view of the world, to realize that everybody is my partner. Like I want to support absolutely everybody and everything that anybody wants to bring in because we're all here to be our unique selves. And there is so much room and there is so much resource on this rich planet that each of us can be ourselves and not worry about who I'm competing against. I don't, I don't, I actually, my view of competition has shifted significantly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's actually, it's actually a sort of early subtle expression. Um, competition doesn't exist in the right. later stages of consciousness. It just doesn't. Yeah. It, it, when Once we gain empathy in the late subtle tier, competition is out the window. It's, that's an earlier version of us. So there's, there's actually no room for it. There's no room for competition because we are all in this, um, in this opportunity to grow and evolve and 
co-create and co-develop and reach out into the emergent field of possibilities and bring in solutions that I actually need people to help me implement. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, the, the, you just brought in the stages of development. And I think a lot of people here will be familiar with uh, those from different guests we've had on the podcast. But I think what's interesting is the way you talk about how purpose can manifest at these different stages. So, um, you know, I always want to like jump, jump to the later stages, but maybe you could take us on a, like a, a brief tour, you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> if that's possible <laughs> we've got like 10 minutes you know yeah uh, but, 10 minutes um no i'm well, just kidding about that no yeah. well in early childhood we're really just becoming ourselves like it's you know it's all about primary identity and first and then second uh person perspective we're becoming to know you know who i am uh what i like what matters to me my preferences my desires um, that's it, period, you know, so purpose is going to be, what do I most like? And that's about as much as a child can handle. Um, and a parent who's paying attention to that will notice those things that a, a child needs and wants and attempt to satisfy them up to, you know, safety and reasonable expectation. And then in late childhood, as the child begins to enter into the second person perspective and say, sees the other, they start to have this relating, they're practicing, you know, who I am, what I want with a parent, with their siblings, with other children, and starting to notice some distinctions between me and you. And we'll start to notice, oh, I like this and you like that. And, um, you know, and, and how that differs for different people. So, so it's, you know, learning an early identity and then comparing it to other. And then in third person perspective, which usually happens in adolescence um, and can, can often last well into adulthood. Well, actually, let me step back. Some people, um, some people never leave a, sec a second person perspective and that's sort of the end of the concrete tier um, where they really only are able to see what is held as values and uh, belief systems that are part of their family structure and their community and their tribe. So second person perspective can last until death in some populations. and. I've looked at enough data and there's probably about a third of the human population that's still in second person perspective. And so when we wonder why is it that some people don't really care about others who are very different from them, it's really because they've never really evolved past that second person perspective. And so those would be fairly, um, I use the word conservative lightly. I don't mean it in a political way, but their conservative values about family and tribe and community, because this is how it is. This is the way it always has been. This is the way it's always going to be. And these are the belief structures and systems that I live within. And I don't really want to see or care to see anything beyond that. How much, how, how, uh, how might purpose show up at that yeah, so, so purpose literally shows up as an expression of myself within those systems. Yeah. So it can look like, you know, I, it's when often people say I am something. I am a, 
And, you know, it may look like a job or a role or a career, a parent or, you know, a um, business person or a firefighter or a teacher or a, and I might have an expression of values um, at that point. And, and that's going to be the, the gist of purpose in that early, on those early stages. Um, not a lot of awareness. Someone may have hobbies and things and vocation that they enjoy and that are part of their life also, but it will be a series of I am. It's a form of identity. Mm. And cool. then let's, uh, yeah, I was going to say, let's skip ahead to some of the, just because I'm, uh, I know we've got a precious amount of time and yeah. I want to make sure I can uh, ask you about some other things I'm yeah. really keen to. So, the, um, you know, you, you know, I can talk about this all day. Um, third person perspective is when I begin to identify with my skills and traits. And I also begin to hear internal voices. And so I become metacognitively aware and I begin to sense a greater extent of my identity. And I truly begin to imagine purpose as things I do in the world that can have an impact or not. And in fourth person perspective, I also, I, I know me, I've come to know myself metacognitively, but I also begin to experience other people's internal life. And so that's when empathy develops in the late subtle tier. And I begin to see that, oh, you're, you are as important as I am. And I can see how you are different or the same as me. And I can see from that place that I am really truly a unique being because I'm relative to you. And this is where true self-identity starts to emerge as we are seeing ourselves in comparison to another. So we, we notice the similarities and the distinctions and we become more discerning. And then in, and that's all the subtle tier. And then in the metaware tier, as we move into fifth person perspective, we lose um, a sense of, we, we begin to experience that life is really socially and personally, individually constructed. This and, might be like a construct aware in yeah. um, like Kukreuter's uh, yeah. terminology and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And we begin to experience that I've created this illusion and purpose begins to take on much more meaning when I see that I literally can shape the world through this most essential form of me. So many of my clients that we are able to dig deep into purpose are late subtle and early metaware. When you have access to that sort of internal distinction of who you are and how you show up in the world and can create things from it. Um, I'm imagining that we might meet a lot of our clients who are in the subtle, late subtle or late subtle stages. Mm -hmm. I, I, I guess I'm curious in your experience if um, you find like most people come to you um, in certain stages because they've, they're interested in purpose. Yeah. And maybe that late subtle or something. Yeah. You know, and Joel, this is an interesting um, artifact of the pandemic. Um, as an evolutionary anthropologist, I sat back during the pandemic and just watched things evolve. And because we were shut down, isolated, locked into our, you know, the cave of our home by ourselves or with family, whatever. Um, we had all this time to do internal reflection. So literally we evolved at least one stage. I'd say some of us evolved a couple. And so more and more people 
entered and or evolved, you know, from the early metacognitive to late metacognitive, late subtle tier, we became more aware of ourselves because of this, this time and space in which I don't really have a lot to do out in the world um, other than virtually. And then I watched all my global counterparts do the same. And I began to notice the distinctions that weren't as apparent before the pandemic. So we now have a huge new cohort of people in late subtle tier that have an awareness of, oh, I'm actually really different than I thought I was. And what I do and who I am really matters to me in a new way. And, and yeah. so to answer your question, yes, for probably two decades, I've been, most of my clients have an awareness, a keen sense of awareness of self and want to explore and dive deeper into what that is and how to express it. And now there are more and more people than ever. So we evolved as humanity during right. the pandemic. And I'd say this is, I mean, couldn't have happened at a better time, right? For more people to be awake and aware that like, okay, show's on, <laughs> let's do yeah. this. It, it, it seems like the, you know, there's that coupling between the environment and the person. So as we experience this uncertainty and complexity and um, the pandemic, you know, uh, that that's gonna, yeah, invite us into these inquiries, particularly I imagine, who, who like what's my life about what who am i really what's this right. um if life seems more precarious then it cuts through some of the perhaps more superficial layers and into these bigger questions and so right. i imagine that that is that might be the late subtle where people are suddenly really asking like what am i here to be in this lifetime yeah i mean that certainly is the context that we were immersed in during the pandemic, couldn't avoid it. We had to slow down enough and pay attention. So yeah. that context has always been here. It's just that most of us moved too quickly, too fast, had too many distractions to notice it. And, and so not only we noticed the context newly, but we became more self-aware, self-absorbed. Um, I, I wanna say in a non-judgmental way that we, we began to see ourselves newly because we had the time and space to do it so yeah that makes sense to me um and i wonder also about the meta where stages that uh you know what that transition is like and how purpose begins to express itself there i imagine there's a radical shift in as you described in self-identity and i mean as i know construct to where it's like people start to see how they're literally constructing the world and that can be quite disconcerting and perhaps even lead into phases of nihilism yeah uh, um, yeah but Ex then existential yeah. angst for sure and as you know the early the earliest stage of that metaware tier construct aware stage is is pretty intense for most of us because you lose grounding you lose a sense of reality and begin to see the world from a place of well everything i thought was in existence has sort of lost meaning and I need to figure out, well, what does matter? And so what it, it's not that necessarily the things you were working on before become unimportant. You just, you begin to realize as you work your way through that early stage that there aren't the same kinds of constraints or barriers 
or limitations that I imagined there were because actually the world doesn't exist like I thought it did. And so in this phase, actually you have more, there's more possibility. There's more room for imagination. There's more stretching of self to say, well, what, what is possible from out here? Given the world isn't constructed in the way I imagined, then there are no limits to what I can possibly achieve or, or create. And so it's, um, we're usually also doing a lot of the last bit of shadow work out, you know, in the late subtle tier, early metaware tier, the, you, you got to do the shadow work to, to make your way into the tier because you can't actually move forward with <laughs> if you're carrying all that stuff. So we're, we're both deconstructing, letting go of former ways of knowing ourselves and seeing the world and all the things that were limiting us. And we're also seeing the expansion of reality because it really is about the field of possibilities out here. And so purpose becomes more potent and um, quite honestly, more fun. <laughs> I think it's more fun out oh. here because like, I can create whatever I want to create from this place. You know, if it's, if it's truly, I mean, I'm talking, you know, a, um, not in a, um, anyway, from a very sincere and committed version of me that is living in, in that space that I can create the most extravagant um, generative solutions of possibility that can address all kinds of things that I yeah. never imagined were possible. And um, I'm imagining uh, in this place, it's like where because we we become much more spacious and mm -hmm. in some ways like um entered into the you know the 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 deep now or this like um felt experience of the moment that we can become a conduit more right. easily uh of of purpose that wants to be expressed yeah. like an embodied conduit there's a perhaps a transmission yep. of purpose and uh, uh i know you speak about flow and synchronicity here um, yep. I imagine this is where it really kicks in. Yeah, I, I knew that was a question you were going to ask. <laughs> I should have talked about magic um, because magic, magic really, magic really yeah. starts happening late subtle tier, early meta word tier as we let go of the constrained beliefs about how life is and tap into what's emerging through us. It is a transmission. We are just portals or conduits for the field um, that we allow ourselves then to be uh, led in ways that um, let opportunity to show up. I mean, literally it's, it is, it's, I mean, I, it's several points in my life. I have wanted to write a book about everyday magic um, because when you hit that place, um, it's like, it is like every day, almost all day long, every day, things just show up and like, oh, I guess this is where I'm going. <laughs> this is, this is what's emerging for me right now. And it's not what I expect, not that I had really any expectations, but like, I never, I never imagined this and wow, how amazing that is for this to show up and be my next step. So you don't, it's not like we plan strategically or we have to figure things out you actually literally just have to be yourself living in the most sincere purest committed form of you 
and life will evolve for you. So purpose, I mean, it literally becomes fun. It is like a magic show because you like are here. I'm being myself in my purest way. I'm working through shadow continuously. I'm, you know, clearing, 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 and boom, the stuff just starts showing up. Now, my own experience is not that, you know, I hit magic and boom, it's been magic ever since. It's like, I'll, I'll hit magic for a bit. And then, oh, here's a tough spot. I'm in mud again. I got some more work to do, clearing, shifting, realigning. I hit magic again, you know, so I'm off and running again. And then it, there's another, you know, serious layer of the onion that has to be pulled off. And, and I'm in that for a period of time, you know, sometimes it's days, sometimes it's months. And then boom, I'm off again. Um, so it's always... Again, I, I believe this is our soul pulling us forward saying, okay, we're, we're now in alignment. And then we hit something that is literally a form of unconscious, repressed, karmic, you know, block glob of goo <laughs> residue that has to be cleared before we can keep going on this journey with our soul. I feel like my soul is my partner and it's pulling me forward and I, I hit tough spots and that's where I do some more work and then, okay, we're off and running again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it's funny. It's fascinating because in my group of friends, uh, we have gotten into collectively, but also separately magic, uh, everyday magic. I think Dean Radin even beat you to the book title uh apparently it's a pretty good book but um yeah that fascinates me and, and it's it's like different from something like um the law of attraction or a more new age sense of um yeah i don't know but just this sense that are um that there's a kind of energetic patterning mm -hmm. to experience that we can begin to perceive and and play with and um and that our word has um a certain power to it you know like uh you know literally like it has some maybe power of manifestation or something so yeah I, I just find that fascinating that you bring that up and that i see that reflected in amongst the people that i know and i make no claims about uh where we're at developmentally but um i also like to see these these patterns and i guess i'm curious to ask you um if you might have for the listeners um, a reflection or uh, an inquiry I don't know if it's uh, that you might offer to somebody who is you know perhaps resonating with that late subtle stage or with the you know the metaware stage like what what would you invite each of those two to do you know in the late subtle stage we are um we've been practicing this new form of identity that is metacognitively aware initially with ourselves in the first two stages and then, and then in community, the pluralist and um, um, the contract aware stage, this last stage of um, the subtle tier, we're practicing having complete awareness of who we are relative to the world. And so there is a constant, there is, um, there's, a, there's a call to have a continuous awareness of self in relation to other and to the world. And so at this stage, we can stand pretty, pretty far out as witness to ourself. And in the late salt here, what I, I like to invite people 
to have a non-judgmental awareness of who they are, you know, relatively continuously. And this isn't navel gazing. This is, you know, how do I show up in the world? How am I, how am I showing up on purpose in the sincerest, most committed, true form of me? And where does, where do I lack? What, what are the parts of my life where I'm not doing that? You know, where am I showing up on contacts? Is it friends or family or work or other environments that I show up as something other than the truest form of me? That's a, that's a good exercise to witness where am I less than my true self? So we're that compartmentalized life right. in a way. And so often we show up in one of those contexts as some former version of us that's slightly less than who we really are, who we know ourselves to be in this late subtle tier. And that's usually a, a way to get access to the unconscious versions of our fractured parts or the, you know, the limiting beliefs or the fears and doubts. Um, we often are doing in the late subtle tier, everybody does projections. Oh my gosh, like hugely. And so watch how you're projecting onto others, some version of you. I, I like to call in this stage that life is a hall of mirrors because everything you see is really just a reflection of you. So you can also look for the places in your life where you're terribly dissatisfied. <laughs> like What's not going well, go look at those places and see how you're showing up to create that, that scenario. Because there is always a version of you that's represented in the things that you dislike, especially in this state. Not, it's not saying that you know bad things don't happen truly in the world and I create them all, but you are resonating with that thing that's showing up that's dissatisfying, what, in, what is in you? Because that's what you can control. And how, how can you clean that up so that you are not represented in that thing that shows up in your life? So there's a couple of things. In the early MetaWare tier, um, I'm usually asking people to examine what has dissolved. What is it they're now aware of that had meaning before that no longer has meaning? And so you begin to really deconstruct the various also contexts of your life and how they are shifting and to allow those shifts to occur. So in this stage of life, most of us actually let go of a lot of things that held importance. So it could be, you know, friend groups, it could be jobs that we're in or you know, hobbies or vocations. It could be attachments to um, material items or things or habits or behaviors that we've held on to throughout the years. And so just, just notice again in a witnessing, non-judgmental way, what is it you're becoming detached from and allow those things to fall away without judgment, remorse, guilt, doubt, um, a lot of my clients and, you know, myself included is that when you're in this stage and things just start moving out, you're like, wait a minute, that was, that was a part of my identity, or I really liked those people, or I love that stuff. I want more of that stuff. You know, it's just like, okay, you're, you're becoming a new version of you and you can expect that things no longer will have meaning and they're not going to matter in the same way letting go of those things actually lets the new version of you come in. You can't recreate 
your reality if you're holding on to the old reality. So there's a, there is a transition phase in which we begin to really let the past dissolve so that the new can come in. Yeah. You know, I've, I've moved um, I, like 10 times in the last eight years, but I've moved across states. You know, we talked about, I've, I've moved from culture to culture to culture as I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't recommend this for most people, but for me, it worked. So because I needed to be in different cultures, as I found my new identity over these stages in the metaware tier, like, okay, I, I actually need to be with people who can allow me to be my true self. And, and we get stuck, most people get stuck in a stage because the context of our lives really fits a former stage. You know, yeah. marriages break up, people leave jobs, etc. Yeah. There's a lot of um, kind of psychic, uh, what's the word, like homeostasis in a sense mm -hmm. from, I, I, I remember when I moved to Amsterdam from the England, I felt that, you know, funnily enough, that whole move for me felt very kind of um, purpose, like salt, uh, flow, like, like uh, I, I, you know, I can often overthink things, you know, and I never thought twice about just leaving everything. And I mean, at the time when there wasn't much to leave, I, I wasn't married. I didn't have children. My, I, I was ready to leave my work. So there was a lot, there was a lot of ease around it, but I just kind of came with no money and it just was the right choice. It was never felt wrong. So I didn't second guess it. And then I arrived and it's been incredible for me, but mm -hmm. I remember like literally feeling this something open up when I stepped out of my, my apartment the first week I was here and I just started walking around the streets. And so I, I, I'm seeing now that there was a real liberation of an old identity in that, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, and I, I want to ask about a couple of things that we actually, I wish we'd, we would have had way more time to talk about them. Uh, you mentioned them at the start and I, I'll let you choose which you want to talk about you mentioned the purpose flywheel, which you said was an evolution of your thinking and also the purpose launch lab. Uh -huh. I think it's really worth, yeah. we could name them both, but giving yeah. space to them as well. Yeah. Um, so the purpose flywheel is a new conceptual model. I am, you know, the scientist geek <laughs> that I am, I, I need to understand things. And, um, you know, my work is very studied. I'm a practitioner, but I, I've studied many, many fields um, as a polymath. <laughs> and um, so this purpose flywheel is my latest conception of how we evolve. It's actually, I'm calling it a guide to evolution. And so it's a, it is a flywheel based on the notion that um, Jim Collins proposed in his book, Good to Great. And he was using it for organizations that figure out you know, what are the levers that we have to pull? Flywheels were, you know, big old um, wheels that were in original machines that once you got them moving, once you got momentum, it kept, kept the engine running. And so Jim Collins wrote about it in Good to Great as this is what businesses do to uh, create momentum and keep the engine of a business running. And like, oh my gosh, here is here is actually what happens in evolution is that as we are learning to be these dynamic learning machines um, and creating continuous iterations of ourselves in various ways that we get the flywheel moving and we continue to evolve. So this is my expression of, it's actually three flywheels in one. 
<laughs> three for one. And the first small flywheel is, is purpose, what I call purpose precision, because I, I believe you do have to know your purpose precisely enough to have that experience we had earlier where I, I can sense myself and be in the world from that true version of truest, purest version of me. And from there, I can actually create things. And the second flywheel is the, what I call mindset mastery, where I'm mastering what limits me. I'm mastering how I think about possibility. And from there, I can create products that matter, that are derived from my purpose. And then the third flywheel is um, what I call um, total traction. And I've studied business, you know, entrepreneurialism, product design enough that I know what is required to create agile, lean, iterative, dynamic business systems. So really this whole flywheel is about finding yourself, creating your next expression or product and then liberating it in a system that could be called a business um, in releasing it into the world to have more impact. So that's the purpose flywheel. Um, it's based on the work I've been doing for, you know, in this form for about five years, but built on, you know, almost 40 years of, of practice. Is that um, something we can link to or uh, well, is it like I, yes. a... So um, you can link to it, and I'll share the Bitly link uh, with you. It's, I'll, or we could, or we could find it on your website. You know, people yeah, could have that. My website is, is emergenceinstitute.net, yeah. um, but I can yeah. also give you the links. And yeah. um, I am about to launch the Purpose Launch Lab, which is a community of like-minded entrepreneurs, visionaries, innovators, people who want to do this work, to become themselves, create products or services and build a business or initiative around that, um, you know, in community with masterminds, with case clinics, um, with content based on the flywheel. Mm. So I'm launching that in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> well, just um, before I ask you where we can find out again, you mentioned your website address, but um, what I like about this is that, yeah, this is the piece for me that's so important that, I think a lot of people, um, particularly in spiritual communities, can get into the idea of purpose and soul. But then, how do you actually fucking right. manifest it? And how uh, you know the gra the grounded um, right. aspect of being in the world and being of service and in business, you know. So, right. and I think the most interesting, um, how could I say, like um, I don't know, like purpose infused agents are the ones who are doing this work, you know, like they're not just in the spiritual world talking about stuff, but they're, they're doing the deep work, clarifying purpose, but they're also, you know, they've got the chops to go out and build a business yeah. around it and impact the people. And I'm calling this um, um, a market disrupting incubator. Um, if you know the words incubator and accelerator in the, you know, in the startup world, um, because it's not, you know, how can I go make the most money, which is how a lot of startups get started. It's how can I bring my truest version of myself to the world, create products and services that will be an expression. And, and, you know, and there is market product market fit. I, I mean, it's a, it's a very integrated model. So there's a lot of stuff that we do know from the business world that we apply here, but how do I bring myself, create something that meets a, need, a real need in the world, 
create that a viable, you know, viable minimum product and, mm -hmm. and then test it and iterate and put it into the world as a business. Um, in order to have impact, in order to create a sustainable lifestyle, in order to create a different world, you know, literally mm. now's the time. <laughs> if we don't yeah. do it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much I could ask you about that, but I'm re realizing the times so just Nate, where can we find out about the, the lab and your flywheel yeah, and your so work again? Emergenceinstitute.net. Um, today, there isn't anything on the um, website about the launch lab there. I think when this is released, there will be. Um, and I'll share with you, Joel, the links. Um, there's a bit.ly link and it's purpose flywheel V1. So purpose with a capital P, flywheel the capital F, V is capital N1. You know how bit.ly likes uh, words to be, anyway. That's, um, yeah, but emergenceinstitute.net. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, well, then I just want to um, say I'm, I'm really touched to hang out with you again, Holly. It's been great. And yeah, thanks for sharing yourself and so generously and uh, with the wisdom you've accumulated over the years around this. Thank you, Joel. I'm, I'm so delighted to know you and to be in the world with you. I feel like we're... We're on the same path and um, it's it's beautiful to know another soul who's so committed to being fully available to your own mm. gifts. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.